Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. We also have PDFs available on our website, grove.church. Yeah, so go ahead and check out that PDF and read along with us as we continue to discuss the Bible through the rest of the year. Uh, and even into next year, there's a new plan coming out at one point before we get there. But as those questions come up, we would love to take time as much as we can in our podcast at the end every time to answer those questions. And there's two ways you can get those questions that may pop up or can may come up to your mind as you're reading. First is an email. You can send us an email at info at grove.church. Make sure you put in the subject line a Let's Read the Bible podcast question. Uh, shoot us a quick message with your question. And we'd love to take time to answer those. Or you can jump on Facebook if you are on the Facebook community. You can uh, go to the Grove Church in Washington State. We are the Grove Church in, in Marysville, Washington. But give us a, a like, but also send us a direct message there with the question. We get those there as well, and we'd love to take time to answer them. Yeah, so Each week, go. almost. This week, we are doing... Uh, I, I, it's not really a little different because we've done it before. Yeah. We're doing a What We're Thinking About episode, plus mm-hmm. a little bit of questions at the yeah. end. Um, and really, it's because... As we record this, it's Wednesday, September 8th, 8th. Launch Sunday is coming up on September 12th, and that's kind of sucking up all of our lives. So me and Aaron didn't quite have the time to sit down and really, you know, do the hours of study it takes to make an episode. But Wait, wait you study for these things? I'm just kidding. Totally <laughs> but, kidding. Uh, but we still want to make sure that we get content out to you. And it was kind of born out of a, a conversation yesterday we just had in passing, uh, at least for me as far as what I've been thinking about. I'm typically Evan's sounding board when it comes to life. It's true. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, So yeah, we just want to talk about some things we've been talking about biblically or at least uh, spiritually related. And then we also are just going to get through a couple of our, couple more of our questions. So last week's question that we didn't get a chance to get to, and then we actually have two more. So we'll have have a nice full episode for you. So sit back, relax, enjoy this more more conversational episode of Let's Read the Bible. You want to go first? I guess I can go first, yeah. Okay. So Age before beauty. Thank you. Thank you. Wait a minute. I'm older. Dang it. Um, we're, we were talking about yesterday just this idea of, and it's fine because I guess this will be a little bit political as well, but I think we've just become so polarized mm-hmm. as people. And one of the things that's really been disturbing me is... And it's a, it's a constant struggle in my heart as well. Like, so I don't want to like sound like I'm up on this like hype, <laughs> like on this perch looking down. Evan's looking down at us saying, you people, no. Um, no, like, so I, so like full disclosure, right? Like I have political beliefs um, and I have pretty passionate ones. Like yeah. I, I, I've, I've thought through them. Um, I have ways that I think the country should run. I have ways that I think politicians should act. Um, I have programs that I think should or should not be in place. Um but I, I try to, especially publicly, I guess privately, like with when I'm with friends, we'll discuss politics and stuff. But publicly, I try to stay pretty apolitical. Um, I think if like you really look through everything, you probably figure out where I land on some stuff. But the two exceptions I find to that would be um, in terms of abortion and in terms of racism. I think those are two things that I, like, I don't even think they really should be all that political, but they are. Yeah. Um, or at least like there's to some degree political. Um, but I think both of those as Christians, we do, or as the church, we do have a a duty to speak up on because they're both related to this idea that are all humans created in the image of God? Mm -hmm. And if they are, if we, if we believe that truly, then all humans are equal of dignity, respect, um, 
and equal treatment. Yeah. So whether that's uh, because you're born or unborn, or whether that's because of the color of your skin or the country you come from, um, even things I think that are even more hot button, I guess, for Christians, but like uh, like people's sexual orientations and things like that. Um, we can disagree as far as um, whether we think those things are right or wrong. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of times we allow ourselves to go so far as to not treat people with the dignity that they deserve just by being humans, just by being created in the image of God, like we said. Yeah, um, and I, just to interrupt real quick for a second, I, I mean, you're listening to us right now and you're probably thinking, well, what does this have to do with the Bible reading plan? What does this have to do with... And, and I just want to provide some clarity for us today because I don't want you tuning out or checking out saying, oh man, it's becoming a political podcast. That's not the case at all. The filter with which Evan and I are constantly fighting to, to think through, to see through is the biblical lens that God has given us in his word. Ultimately, our, our, our faith, our trust is in Jesus. He affirms the authority of God's word. Uh, and so as we're processing the relevancy and the culture of our times, I guess that's a better way to say it, the culture that we're in right now. It's a biblical view that we're trying to process through these things. And so when we have an episode like this, where it's, here's what we're thinking about, it's not to try and take a sidebar and use this podcast episode as a bully pulpit, or right. here's my agenda. It's here, here's my honest processing as a Christian who believes in the authority of God's word and as it relates to our everyday culture and life. Uh, and so I just, I just want to be clear for that, that for that simple sake, I don't, I don't want you to think like, okay, now he's going to start preaching about this or preach about that. You and I, as a listener may have disagreements, Evan and I have disagreements about our, some of our political beliefs and about the different things, but we, what we don't disagree on is who Christ is, what Christ has called us to the authority of God's word. Uh, and, and I would argue that for the most part, the right interpretation of scripture. Cause we always say it in the podcast, there's open-handed things and there's close-handed things. Right. Um, and so th that's the heart behind this. So um, because I know politics and, and different conversations, even some of the things that Evan already brought up can be very, very, very divisive. Um, the hope here is that we're just processing. This is what we're wrestling with from a biblical picture as Christians today. What does it mean? So that that's the context. So uh, when, when you, when you hear these hot button, like abortion, or you hear about racism, or you hear about, uh, the gay community, like we're, we're not, we're not, we're not judging anyone. What we're doing is we're wrestling through the concept of context of truth and trying to live to a biblical true standard. That's what it is. Yeah. And basically so. my point, I want to be clear. My point with the last thing was essentially just, we need, we have a duty as Christians to love people. Um, and I think sometimes we can get caught up in whether it's, disagreements with people or whether it's our own prejudices inside of our hearts. It's something we need to strive toward. But the, the ultimate point that I'm making here is I think so many people have allowed themselves to be defined more by their politics than by the fact that they're a Christian. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people are not Christians who happen to be liberal or conservative, but rather they're liberals or conservatives who happen to be Christians. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we can get mixed up, where when when politics just becomes the absolute north star of our lives, A, you're never going to be happy if you if like if you're if your main thing that you care about that's true. is how the country's running. Like there's never going to be a there's never been a point in the history of any nation where everyone's just like, ah, this is smooth sailing. Like it's just, it's, there's always going to be something. There's always going to be things to be mad about. Um, like spoiler, like the news is built to make you mad or to make what? you scared because it's what makes you click on things more. So it makes you watch it more. So it makes you read it more. So um, there's always going to be those things. But 
I think for me, the thing I have to always keep in mind is how do I keep Christ central yeah. in my life? And then how do I look through, how do I look through politics? How, how do I look at politics through a Christian lens? Because I think there's things both on the right and the left of this country, I think there's natural things that both sides get right as far as aligning with who Christ is. And I think that there's both there's there's things on both sides that they get wrong mm-hmm. in aligning with who Christ is. So whether whether you're a conservative or a liberal, I think there's constant polls one way or the other. Because if you go all the way to one or you go all the way to the other, by necessity, you're kind of leaving behind a little bit of what of what Christ would call us to. And so that's that's really the main thing for me is and I guess it's not really a biblical topic. So I, no, told, just, I would actually disagree with you. I actually would say this is absolutely a biblical topic yeah. because I mean, there was a, there's a verse that I read years ago when I was working through the book of Acts with the commentary preaching the word, which I, I think I referred to all the time. It's a good, time. It's um, good commentary. So but one of the things that, that in Acts chapter 20, and I actually revisited this on Sunday because of one of the, or actually it was yesterday morning when we had staff chapel, I revisited this as I was just praying and reading before we prayed together as a staff. Um, and it just referred back to Acts chapter 20, which is a verse that I, um, I, I, I actually typed up and put on my desk to remind me of my, my purpose as a pastor and a Christian leader. Um, and it's Paul saying this in Acts chapter 20, verse 21. He said, I, had one, I have had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in the Lord Jesus. And I wrestled with this and why I'm saying I do believe that this is a biblical conversation because our job as Christian leaders and our job as Christians, in my opinion, is to keep the gospel as the central piece to everything we say and do. Everything. I, I just caught a soundbite of uh, a mentor friend of mine uh, in one of his messages. He, he said this, that the gospel is our only message. Um, as Christians, that's our message is the gospel, the hope and faith of Jesus Christ. That, that I said it kind of weirdly, but the, the, <laughs> the truth of who Jesus is, what he came to do, that's our message. That's what we cling to. And as Christians, I do think it's very easy to side historically because we have allowed in in our society a certain dem, democratic demo, whatever democracy party the republican party liberal the, the democrat party we've allowed a party to be more christian than the other and it's polarizing and and people I, on both sides think that they are in the christian the right party, party they think they're really in the funny. yeah exactly and and the thing is like I've never been a fan of preaching anything political from the platform because I don't believe it's it's unifying. I think the gospel and the message of Jesus is one to bring unity. He said himself that I'm going to create division because of the message of who he is. But the gospel of Jesus is what should unify Christians together because that's our anchor point. That's our close-handed issue that we should never open up and allow other things to influence. So all of that to say, like I think what Paul was saying is this simple truth, like you and I as Christians have got to begin filtering what do our lives look like from a Christian perspective, from a Christ-centered reality. Yeah. How do I how do I live my life from a Christ-centric worldview? Not even worldview. I guess it's more of a Christ-centric view. <laughs> like we have to be able to do that. Because if not, we're gonna buy in to exactly the same tension you're talking about, Evan, is uh, we're gonna start allowing other things to influence or dictate who we are and forget the fact that my identity as a child of God, as as a co-heir with Christ, which is scriptural that those are the things that matter the most and they should influence how we see humanity, how we see each other, how we care for each other, um, where we love our neighbor as ourselves. that tension. Yeah. And the, the last thing I want to bring up, and this is more, I guess, just kind of an interesting note is I think the other big mistake that we make is we kind of associate systems of government with, with God. 
Um, and so you saw it with, you know, in the, in the medieval times, um, the whole idea was that the king was appointed by God um, and therefore that he was the right ruler. Even when you see like some parliamentary reforms come in, the argument against it was like, listen, God chose me to be king. I should have absolute power. Um, and then today you kind of see it where a lot, I think a lot of people for them, Christianity means um, representative democracy, which is kind of as, or I guess like a, a Republican system of government. And I mean that in the sense of like living in a Republic, not in the sense of political party. Um, but I think that's also kind of a misnomer. I think you can live like people for years when monarchies were the main way that the world was ruled, they lived as Christians under kings who had absolute power. Today, most of us in the West, we live under some form of representative government and we can live as Christians there. Regardless of what the system of government is, we can be Christians and we can live yeah. out our lives. I think so often we allow our idea of what being a Christian is to get seeped into our idea of what being an American is, which yeah. I think is just kind of a foolish way to, yeah. to live as well. So, well, again, I think historically we, we have bought the, the, the statement, like we are, we are blessed to live in America. You know, God has blessed this country. Um, and I'm not going to argue one way or the other, but what I, what I, what that has allowed us to become inundated with or confused by is that my status as an American shows favoritism from God, which I don't think is, it's, that's not biblical at all. Yeah. And and so I, I mean, we hear of, I mean, just to shift over, we hear from Afghanistan, we hear Christians who are staying in the country, continuing to further the gospel and push the gospel and at the sake of risking their lives. We, we hear and see of revivals happening in Brazil because of the Holy Spirit at work. We see uh, the same thing happening in Africa. We, we see and hear, and if you don't see and hear these things, um, I, I, I'm sorry, because <laughs> you need to be seeing and hearing these things because God is not only able to move and be blessing people based upon the materialistic standards that we have in America. Um, and so I just, I think it's important to recognize like my status as a Christian is what it matters more than my status as an American, more than my status as uh, some other, you know, uh, a citizenship to anywhere else. Because at the end of the day, Paul said, and I, I quoted this on, on Sunday when I preached, like I'm, I've been crucified with Christ. Everything in me has been, has been nailed to the cross with Christ. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's the tension I think we all need to be living in. Um, and it kind of leads me kind of in, in the same vein. It leads me just, it, it, I've just, the one thing that's been re resounding in my head over and over and over again is the simple idea of obedience over sacrifice. And I, I talk about, I've talked a bit, little bit about the cost of discipleship on Sunday when I had the opportunity to speak this last weekend. Um, and it's not a message I, I, I actually enjoyed speaking. It was one that I really wrestled and had a very hard time putting together, which I don't say that for sympathy. I just say that for transparency. Um, but it is this picture that even as I was reminded um, recently of, of first Samuel chapter 15, where Samuel, I, I don't have time to read the whole passage, but it's in essence, the heading is Saul has rejected as king. This is someone God has set in order to be the king of his people. The first king of Israel uh, was, was Saul. And there's this moment where he, Saul is, this is before David was anointed king. Uh, Saul is kind of in the, in the height of his, his reign and his rulership. Um, and he goes to war and he's told by Samuel, the prophet, kill everything, destroy everything, take everything and get rid of it. Like don't take, in essence, he was told, don't take any plunder, don't capture the king, kill the king. And 
he goes to war, rallies his troops, and what he ends up doing is he kills everything but the best of the of the of the people. And he keeps the king, he keeps the best of the land, and disobeys God. Samuel comes to calls him out and says, What what what's this? And Samuel's like, What do you mean? I I obey God. And Samuel's like, That's not what God said. God said, remove everything. You've kept the best. You still have the king. And Samuel's Oh Saul. Right. And so and so then Saul is, well, we were going to sacrifice it to the Lord. And so then there's this, this famous line, I think, from Samuel to, to Saul that simply says, uh, do, you, like, do you really think sacrifice is better than obedience? This is my paraphrase. But in, in, first, in chapter 15 of Samuel, do you, sacrifice is not better than obedience. And I, when I remember thinking about this and I just got struck, um, and I, I think this is along the same vein because we use what we give sacrificially, our human tendency, I believe, is to negotiate our way out of obedience based upon what we've sacrificed with. That we stand in a place that says, when, I mean, simple example, hey, Aaron, go across the street, love your neighbor. And in, in truth, I'm like, eh, I don't really like them. They're kind of weird. They're not very social. They don't have any kids. I don't, I don't care. I don't want to love them. And if God's like, no, no, I want you to go love them. I hear that. Okay, yeah, but check this out. Look what I've done for you. Look how much money I gave for this event. Look how much time I served in the church. Look at, and, and I fill in the blanks with the things that I have given. And all God wants me to do is go love my neighbor. All God wants me to do is to lay my life down. And it's this tension in all of us that I, I, I'm fearful of in my own heart, my own life, that God, I, I'm, I'm so quick to negotiate my way out of obedience based upon all of the things that I've done. God, I've done enough. Haven't I, haven't I earned this one get out of obedience free card? My kids have been playing Monopoly, so I have jail, get out jail free cards in my head. Those things normally cost thousands. They do, right? A <laughs> um, little office joke. But my, but my concern um, for myself, and I, and I say myself first, because I don't ever want to be, uh, even as Evan alluded to, like we don't want to be from sitting up on a high horse pointing down and saying, you people. But my concern for me is that I lose sight of, of who I am as, as a child of God, and I become more concerned with what I have given up than what Christ is asking me to do. And I think that's at the heart of some of the things he talks about, whether it's in, you know, Luke chapter 14, I think is what I preach. I can't remember at this point. Um, but about the idea of cost of discipleship, even when he, when he's calling people to follow him and one of the guys like, well, God, Jesus, let me go bury my, you know, my, my family members. And Jesus responds, let the dead go bury the dead. Let them take care of themselves. You come follow me. And it's almost this harsh statement, but it's not, it's not Jesus saying, Hey, I have a, a very difficult path and you're just going to suffer. But it is this idea and this reality, like my life is no longer my own. And I, if, I'm, if I'm to be a true disciple of Christ, he is my everything and he is my platform. Um, and so that I, even that book of that chapter in Acts chapter 20 or the verse in Acts chapter 20, where it says, you know, I have had, I have one thing, two things that I've preached that I've held to, to Jews and Gentiles. Here's the thing. He lived in a very politically charged climate. The culture he lived in regarding to Paul and Acts That's true. was, was not... Um, Christian. It was, it was all about the government. It was all about the Caesar, the hand of God via Caesar or the rulers. And Paul says, I, I presume to know, to know two things. One, Christ, repentance, the need to turn away from sin and turn to God. And then Christ and him crucified, the Messiah. He is who he says he is. And, and I just, my, my fear is that we lose sight of our message in the gospel based upon the world and the culture of our times. 
And I think we got to be very careful when we talk about Let's Read the Bible podcast. The Bible is the authoritative word of God because it's been affirmed by Jesus Christ himself. And it's our job as Christians to hold tightly to what Jesus said and to follow us as closely as we possibly can to everything he's asked us to do. Um, and, and if we don't, then I think this is where we begin to veer and get sidetracked by other things. So uh, that's what's resting. That's what I'm resting through right now is as I'm reading scripture, as I'm trying to be diligent, God, where am I being disobedient and excusing my obedience, my disobedience based upon what I've already given you? Right. And I think that's a big piece to the conversation. Uh, yeah, I guess to kind, of, to kind of wrap together both of the things that we're talking about, where are we allowing ourselves to be diverted from what God would actually have us do? Or where are we allowing ourselves to be diverted from what should truly be at the center of our lives, the center of the way that we live, live our lives, which is that we are forgiven by God, that we're forgiven by Christ. And that if we um, believe and trust in him, we can be reunited with God again. Yep. So there you go. So that's what, that's what we've been thinking about. Hopefully that wasn't too rambly, but uh, it's just kind of, that's kind of the nature, I guess, of those things. Yeah. When, just, we're, when we process the things we're thinking. We uh, mind dump. You just, you, what you do is you just get an inside conversation, inside look at the conversations Evan and I have on a fairly regular basis. True. So we just kind of brain dump for a bit and then process together for it. So. Well, let's move on to some of the questions that we got today. We're going to do a little bit of rapid fire. And by rapid fire, I just mean some of them that came in were a little bit easier to answer than others. Ooh, so, yeah, you know. Fancy. Uh, but before we do, just a quick reminder, leave us a five-star review on whatever app you're listening on. It helps out a ton. Uh, and then I think we just got over 50, which is kind of nice. So, what? Thank yeah. you so much. There you go. And if you write it out, we'll read it on the podcast as well. So thank yep. you. Uh, so moving on to our questions here. This first one, this is the one that came in last week, says... Uh, my question is in second Chronicles chapter one, verse six, and in chapter five, verse six, the number of burnt offerings and sacrificing in both verses seems insane. It's just a hyper, uh, hyperbole amount, hyperbolic amount. All right. So here's the references really quick. So in second Chronicles one, uh, I put a little bit of verses around it. So we get a little bit better of the context, but it says, and Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tent of meeting. Uh, of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord had made in the wilderness was there. Moreover, sorry, but David had brought up the ark of God from Kirith Jerem to the place that David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent in Jerusalem. Moreover, the bronze altar that Belazel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was therefore before the ta was there before the tabernacle of the Lord, and Solomon and the assembly sought it out. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. And that night God appeared to Solomon and said, ask what I shall give you. All right. So we got that one. Solomon offers a thousand burnt offerings for this moment. Second one says, and they brought up the ark, the tent of meeting, the holy vessels that were in the tent, the Levitical priests brought them up and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were before the ark sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. The priest brought the ark of the covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. Okay. So I think there's actually two different answers for these two different passages. Um, so the first one I think is almost certainly an accurate count. It doesn't seem too crazy to me actually that, yeah. especially for like the celebration of what's going on in that moment that a thousand animals would be sacrificed. The thing to keep in mind, it's, it's a, it, there's a weird nitpick that people have with the Bible, I think, where there's just standards that they would put on it than nothing else. Like when there's, like one of my favorite examples is when there, it's poetically describing things. So it'd be like, you know, God laid the foundations of the earth. Like that's not how the earth was created. It was like, well, yeah, no doubt. Like it's, <laughs> it's poetry. Um, with this, I would say it's 
it's a thing that we would do all the time. So like, let's say easy example. Um, I go up and we count the number of people who are in one of our gatherings. And then there's 312 people. And then if Aaron's like, Hey, how many people do we have in the gatherings? Well, then I would say like 312. If someone else was like, Hey, how many people do we have today? Like, Oh, like 300. Like those are two, both of those things would be right. Um, because in the one sense, you're not looking for what is the absolute exact number of things that happen. You're kind of just looking for a general amount. So yeah. if there were like a thousand and 93 animals that were sacrificed, that wouldn't really bother me that it's recorded as a thousand. Cause it's essentially kind of what it is. But what about round up? No, I'm just kidding. Round up, round up, whatever it it's is. It's a modern day idea. Um, so that's what I would say for the first one. The second one is just a poetic way of saying a lot. So you're, you're right in the sense it is hyperbolic in the sense that obviously it was not actually an amount that couldn't be counted because that amount doesn't exist. Like you can, you can count to whatever you want to, um, if you have, if you have the dedication, it's the same thing as when it says, um, Abraham's descendants will be too numerous to count. Well, like if you had a good genealogy and you had the time to devote to it, you could count out the yeah. number of people who are descended from Abraham. Yeah, you get a fairly accurate, <laughs> accurate number if you need, right. if you wanted to. So it's just a poetic way of saying a lot. Yeah. The same way where it says, you know, you, you cannot count it like the grains of sand on the beach. Like again, if you were so, if you were so determined, it would take you a long time and probably generations to do, but there is actually, there is a number out yeah. there that exists. So that's what I would say to that. So, um, I don't know if you have anything. No, I think, there. I think it's right. I think, um, and I think I mentioned this Sunday when I was speaking, but we got to be very careful about reading our understanding of terms and, and realities into the context of scripture and really try to understand the context, knowing that it's a poetic passage or a poetic book and nature, then it's going to help us understand a little bit more that, okay, this is not definitive. It's not uh, literal, but it is, it's meant to be, um, to paint a picture is what it's meant to be. Right. So, um, it, it helps to know the context. It helps to know the, the, the purpose of the book being written by who it was written for. And so, so things like that. So, uh, I would agree with you in that regard. Poetry is kind of like acting in that way where if you acted the way that actors act in real life, if that makes sense, I don't know if this is confusing or not, but you'd always be overacting to everything. Mm -hmm. People would think, look at you and be like, why are you being so weird? Um, but what actors are doing is they are purposely playing up emotions so that you as the viewer get a more intimate understanding yeah. of what they're feeling. That's kind of what poetry does. That's a great way to put it. Is it plays it up so that you get a picture. So yeah. that's the idea there. Question two, this is just a fun one. I thought it was cool. Um, which prophet that did not write a book of the Bible Ooh. do you wish did? Um, so there's quite a few, I've put down a few examples, um, but there's yeah, you more. You put down like 12. So there's, I put down like four, <laughs> but there's, you know, Elijah and Elisha never wrote a book. Um, Nathan famously confronts David, never wrote a book. There's John the Baptist. Um, I don't know if you want to consider him a prophet or not, but there's, um, oh man. I mean, he's, he's referred to as the New Testament Elijah, so. Oh, I wasn't saying John the Baptist. I would consider him a prophet for sure. Who'd you say? I, no, no, I was thinking, I was, I was starting oh, you're gonna to add on top yeah. of John the Baptist. Got it, got it. But now that like, was the dot, dot, dot portion. Oh my gosh. Who's the guy? Balaam. So no, you, dude, you, that could would count, be rad. you could count him. Um, there is the guy who I also can't remember, but two people, there's the man and the woman who uh, come to see Jesus when he's born. I believe the woman is for sure described as a prophetess. I don't remember if the man is or not, but I thought he was. So I don't remember. There's a few... A few people like that. Are you friend of the one who said, now I can, in essence, die because I've seen yes. the fulfillment of your promise? Got it. Yep. Those people. For me, the answer would be John the Baptist. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a hard question. Like, it's not like right off the bat, but I would love to know, um, A, just kind of more stories about Jesus would be great because the gospels are just so focused in, and, and rightfully so, but they're so focused on this like two or three year period. Like, I would love to know... Um, even just young man Jesus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. just Yeah, just kind of getting some of those stories. What was Jesus like as a teenage boy? 
Um, I'd love to get inside of John's head because we don't really get to know, but like the guy went and lived in the wilderness. He's eating bugs and honey and all these different things. Um, I would love just to kind of get inside of his head of mm-hmm. like, well, how did that calling happen? How do you know that that's what you're supposed to do? Um, like what's his mindset when he's going to tell Herod basically all these things, you know what I mean? Like, it's like some of those things I think would be, it would be really fun to have a, uh, a book, I guess, similar to Daniel where it's mm-hmm. a lot of narrative and then a lot of the things that he said as well, but it's just kind of getting a more full picture of John the Baptist. So that, that'd be my pick. I don't yeah. know if you have. No, I, I think, I mean, my immediate thought would be, I think Elijah and Elisha would be rad. Yeah. Um, and, and we get glimpses of them in the, and you know, the historical books, but um, I think Elisha more than Elijah, um, just because I'd be curious to know his journey with Elijah. But that's the other thing too, if they were going to write books of the Bible, it would have to be, it wouldn't be like an autobiography, right? So that that's the other side of it too. Like I'm thinking about. Like, well, some of the some of the prophetic books, you get a, a bigger glimpse into. Like we, Jonah. We just, but we just cranked through the the main minor prophets, and there was no biography whatsoever about some of the. Prophets. Yeah, yeah, most so, of them don't. But there's a, um, like Hosea and there's a couple. Jonah yeah, there's the a couple prophets. that have the narrative side of it, but um, I, I guess my mind goes to like oh, no, I'm thinking maybe not Ezra. a book of the Bible, but I think maybe more of a a biography and autobiography would be fun to read too. So. But yeah, I think Elijah and Elisha, I'd love to hear more about what God kind of did through their ministry, why they were walking this earth and Elijah being taken up in a war, you know, by a chariot and things like that would be rad. Um, I never thought about Balaam. Balaam would be an interesting one for sure. <laughs> so, I, but like, the problem is he never really served God. He served himself. That's the one like, I don't know if you can get But God still prophet. spoke. Like God still used him. Like it was pretty interesting, some of those things, because he still prayed and sought the Lord and, uh, but used it for his own gain. So it would be the, like the, how all of the 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 superhero universes have their own like anti-hero stories that's yeah, what right. the balaam one would be it'd, be, it'd be, that, be like loki that weird one on the edge that you're like i don't he's not really a good guy but i guess we can listen to like his story that's what's your perspective all right maleficent so that, he's the maleficent of the prophets <laughs> uh well yeah thank you for the question that was a fun one cruella never i've i can honestly I just watched say that movie, by the way it was interesting did you okay she did kids. a phenomenal job. I don't have kids, so it's like I, some of the Disney movies passed. That's me by not right one you now. should watch with kids. Oh, really? I only watch with my wife and I. Oh, we watch okay. it. There you go. Uh, I tried. It's out. a little darker. It's it's obviously it's darker because of Cruella. But um, anyways, I we're not going to talk about that. Ryan the Last Dragon, and I was like, I got like a quarter of the way through it, and I was like, ah, eh. I used you just forget. Oh, getting like, like that one. That was well, fun to watch. And that's the thing. Like I feel but, like yeah. when you have kids, like it'd be really fun. But like some of those movies, like I try, I gave Frozen two a shot. And I was just like, like I'll 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 be watching them, and I'll remember like halfway through, like, oh, these are like kids' movies. That's yeah. Here's cool. the funny thing. I no, no shade at people who like those. Movies I haven't watched way. Mulan, the new one, like the person one. Oh, I, I, I watch Cruella by myself and my wife, not by myself, but my wife and I. Um, so we watch like the real person ones, not with my daughter, because the real life dark side of things with like the the villains and like that, yeah. it's not going to bode well. For There's me. something about. Uh, a real person as opposed to a cartoon saying they want to kill puppies. That's that true. Makes That's it true. Creepier. All right. Last question. I think we've, we've talked about this before. I don't remember if it was on the podcast. I don't know. Either. I know we've talked about it before when I was preaching it. Cause yeah. you and I told think, me you would never preach. And I passage. think we actually disagree on it. So this we do. This will be, this will be fun for the listeners. So this question came in, says John eight is written in italics. Uh, and unlike the rest of my Bible, Jesus words are not in red. Was this not part of the original text of the gospel and therefore not given the full red text treatment? Why does that matter? Because red text makes a difference. Right. No, I'm just kidding. So a couple things. So John 8. I'll let you go first. Is a, so John 8 is a really famous story. It's the one with the woman caught in adultery. Um, and then Jesus comes and he says, he who is without sin should cast the first stone. People don't cast the stones. He starts writing something in the dirt. And then it says that the the 
the people leave starting with the oldest down to the youngest. So one, so yeah, my stance with it. So the reason, the reason the Bibles do this is because that story is not in any of the early texts of John. So any of the early manuscripts, it's, it's not to be found in any of those. It's also the first time it's referenced outside of the Bible, I believe is 11 centuries after it would have been written. So like early church fathers where a lot of a lot of their contribution, a like their their philosophy and their thinking and reasoning is really fun. But a lot of the contribution that we have for them today is it's it's a confirmation of things that were considered biblical at the time. Because you have authors who are writing a hundred years after Christ. Well, when they're referencing parts of the Bible, we know okay, so early Christians for sure considered this to be canon or to be for sure, for sure to be scripture. So that's you know people like Origen, Tertullian. Um, a little bit later, you get into like Augustine and people like that. So none of them reference this passage. So for me, I think there's two important things to say. Number one, this passage absolutely lines up with the character of Jesus. There's nothing in this that's like, that really gives me pause. It's not like the one, in, I think it's the gospel of Thomas where like Jesus talks to Mary and he's like, yes, one day, like you've served me so well, one day you will become a man. And like basically saying like, like that's going to be like the, like her real like that's when she finally arrives. So like that one is like that's clearly against the rest of scripture. I don't know if I ever knew that. That's the really? weirdest thing I've ever heard. Oh yeah, I, I I mean I'm that's why it's not in the Bible, guys. I'm basing this solely off of memory, but I'm saying it's not like one of those passages where you read it and you're like, okay, this clearly goes against the rest of scripture. No, it, it lines up really well. It's kind of like at the end of the Lord's Prayer, the line um, "For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, Amen" is actually not in the Bible either. That was added in later. What? But it uh, you just blew some minds right now. Some people are like what? I can't trust anything anymore. Uh, but again, like that line also like that's a very appropriate thing to say to God. So I would kind of view the same thing with uh, John eight. So my stance with it is I don't think that it is biblically authoritative that story in and of itself, um, and I would struggle preaching specifically from that passage, just because I think that all of the themes that you find there can be found in other passages of the Bible. So there's no need to really rely on it. That being said, I don't have any problem referencing it. Like I've referenced it, but I'm sure I've referenced it on the podcast as well. Um, if you asked me like, you know, gun to my head, did it happen? I, yeah, sure. Like, why not? It happened. Maybe it was recorded somewhere else and just kind of got like thrown in there. Um, but I think as far as treating it as canon, I probably wouldn't do that. Um, and I would try to steer away from preaching specifically on that passage. Like I said, just because the, the main theme of the passage is I, is essentially um, we're all sinners and we don't really have the right to condemn someone for the sins that they commit mm -hmm. just because we haven't committed those same sins. Well, that theme is everywhere in the gospels. That's yeah. not specific to John eight. So that's why I would kind of say, and if it was, if there was something that was just specific to John eight, then I would actually be really weary of it because I, or leery of it. I don't know what the word I'm trying to say is, but yeah, I don't know. I anyway, don't know what you would put there. I would, I would, I would stand back a little bit and say like, okay, well maybe we need to rethink this theme. If this is like really the only place where yeah. it is. So that's my stance. Now here, Aaron, disagree with me. Well, and this is, I mean, I, I think I preached out of this passage in youth years ago. Um, and you and I kind of, we didn't, we just talked about it. Um, it wasn't a heated discussion. No, and it was, we haven't had a lot of heated discussions. We've had moments of it. But um, but, but my stance on it is this, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't deviate from the character of who Christ was to the heart of God. It doesn't deviate from any of those things. It provides a deeper revelation of the picture of, of God's heart for people caught in the midst of their sin. 
it then also calls to question those who have authority um, because the, what happens in that passage is very, very clear. Individuals caught someone in the act of adultery, religious leaders did. They brought him before Jesus who said he was writing something in the sand. Now, again, there's all the speculation about what was he writing. I think that's not nearly as important as what actually happened and transpired in that moment. And then it says one by one after he says, hey, let him who's us and cast the first stone. One by one, the religious leaders left, first starting with the oldest and the one that had the most authority. And then after he left in the next, and so it went down the chain of command that way until he, Jesus was just left alone with the woman. And so for me, this passage, there is some nuance to it. And I do think there's something to be said about watching how much weight we give passages of scripture. Um, no, let me stop. How much weight we give this passage of scripture because it isn't in the original manuscripts. Totally agree. I get that. I agree with that to a degree. But I think not preaching from it is where I, I, dis, I disagree completely because it is, in this, it is in scripture. It has been put in scripture today. And scripture is not just randomly put together and piecemealed, but it is a conversation that has been strategically and intentionally included in the book of John, but also like, with a disclaimer, if you will, because most Bibles, uh, especially uh, study Bibles, will have a note and an annotation saying simply, this was not in the original manuscript. Some scholars cannot verify its validity. Yeah, most uh, modern Bibles will put it in brackets or something yeah, like that. Yeah, or like the, this is why it's not the red letter text, right? Because it's that, it's 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 uncertain. Um, but because it doesn't deviate from the central piece and heart of who God is and is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ, I don't have issue with it. Um, and I think we've got to be mindful about it. I think you're right. I, but I would even say this in most respects, if we just use one passage of scripture to be their anchor for everything, and that's where we take one glimmer of truth from, Scripture isn't built that way. Scripture is a narrative, a redemptive narrative that allows uh, Old Testament Genesis creation to, to connect to revelation and the renewal of all things. There is this, this thread that is interwoven between all of Scripture. And so if we're only taking one piece of Scripture and we're using that to build some theology or idea of, I think I would be weary of that just as much as you would be mm -hmm. specific to this passage because it... God gave us all scripture. All scripture is God breathed. Like it, so there's that tension for me that it it aligns with the heart of Jesus and is revealing another layer and how he has interacted with those who are in the middle of sin. So that's why for me, I, I don't have as big of an issue with it. Um, but you don't like to answer your question very directly and not the disagreement or agreement, it's not red letter because there's uncertainty from modern scholars to say whether or not this is actually this is not it's not found in the original manuscripts. Therefore, they have the bracketed inclusion, if you will. Also, just for fun, I looked up because I after I said the Gospel of Thomas thing, I was like, "Is that true?" Like I'm, I was just kind of going off the top of my head. So, is it true? The line is: Simon Peter said to them, "Mary should leave us, for females are not worthy of life." Jesus said, <laughs> "See, so that line already is just speaking of things that go against the uh, the Imago Dei. Uh, nope, wow. like men and women are both in the image of God. That's not that's not the way any of this works." Uh, and then Jesus said, see, I'm going to attract her to make her male so that she too might become a living spirit that resembles you males. For every female that makes itself male will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Wow. So, so, you're, so you read that and you're like, wait, that is nowhere else in any that of the gospels. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that kind of that kind of shows you right there. But yeah. that's that's not what John 8 is, but that's no. just kind of a, I guess that, a fun fact. He, wanted he, was, he was proofing what he alluded to yeah. in the book of Thomas. So You don't want to say something that... Um, that crazy and then be wrong. Yeah, right. So, Can you imagine? <laughs> so there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things like I, I believe it's in scripture. It's, it's included. We don't just do that randomly. We don't have scholars who do that randomly or haphazardly. Like, oh, you know, why not? Let's just flip a coin. 
I don't think that that's true. That's why I trust more of the validity of it than anything yeah. else. So, but we right. disagree on that. So, so there you go. The, the one of those one of those rare moments, but yeah. a very open handed issue on that one. Like For we sure. can obviously be Christians and disagree about what we that whole deal. Well, and with that being said, that wraps it up for this episode of Let's yeah. Read the Bible. Uh, we are a resource of the Grove Church, but we're not the only one. So you can go online. You can check out our past message archives, our all of our past podcast episodes, as well as our, as well as our Life and Then blog. In addition, uh, if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you want to financially contribute to the ministry of the Grove Church, you can do so on the website as well. There's a give button in the top right-hand corner. With that being said, we'll uh, see you all next week. Yeah, have a great day. Thanks for tuning in.